going to take tonight, take some special time. We have some friends, and I call them friends because they are friends, um, Julian and Katja. I have only just met Katja, but I feel like I know you. We've heard stories about this amazing lady, incredibly beautiful, gifted, talented. These are just some of the words, just some of the words that were used. But won't you guys come up here and join me? Just, um, I met this man a number of years ago. Um, he came to Glenridge, and... Um, and just an incredibly fresh gift. Just fresh. He's a prophet. I spoke about that scripture in Ephesians 4 to each. There's a, a portion grace. His portion is, is that of a prophet. And when we invite them in, we invite them in as friends, as family in the kingdom, as warriors, but as a prophet to come and speak to us, to come and share and to take us on and to lift the ceilings. God sends gifts in to do many things to make us strong to throw us into the mission that he has for us and to lift the ceilings and smash those things away so that we can run in space. And he's very graciously sends gifts. So we re receive them as friends. I then had the privilege of ministering in Zimbabwe with him in a very different context at a New Frontiers conference up there and had the privilege of partnering in worship and some things together. And, and God did something with him and another friend of ours named Simon Holly in that place. But I've watched this man for a long time now. And um, I'm going to ask him to say a few words about his amazing wife and introduce her because I can't. So I'm just telling you about this. You know what he loves? It's something. He loves man love. And, and that's not what you think. Don't let your minds go in the gutter. It's just a little bit of like, just like that, Jules. Just he's, he starts purring. You know, like those little cats. He just, check, he's just, just, and then he just get a little close. And if you really want a prophecy, you just go like this. Now, I'm being very cheeky, but, but I'm just introducing them to say, we have them in tonight, and, and because, and I don't have a clue what he's speaking on, I didn't need to know, I trust them. We love them, and as an eldership, we are stoked to have them. So tell us about your amazing bride, bud. Fantastic, thanks. The last time I was here, there was a big picture put up on the overhead screen, this was the church, love, um, and here she is in living color. Um, it's such a joy. Kathy and I um, get to hang out together and travel the world together um, and preach and teach together. Kathy is a phenomenal uh, Ephesians 4 gifted Bible teacher and uh, carries an incredible prophetic gift with a real apostolic engine. So it's been great just to connect with her. Um, she's been doing some amazing things uh, for God. But more than that, she's just the hottest thing ever. And... Um, True, it's all true, um, and uh, we've been married for just over seven months, um, and it's been an absolute blast. God's been so good. Do you want to say some stuff with me? I don't know how to follow any of that. Hi, it's really nice to be with you. Um, yeah, the presence of God is here, and I'm just really excited to see what he's going to do this evening, so thanks for having us. I'm loving it already, just being with you, and um, I think I'll stop there because I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> that was far too safe. If we're going to say we're friends, then you're going to tell us, like, is he behaving himself? Is he making you coffee every morning? Because we, I mean, there's a little bit like an aura. Like, what's a prophet do? Do they think about coffee and it comes? Or they're like, so I don't know. Just dispel some of those things for us. Put a clarity. Just tell us how he's doing and give us an out of 10 rating. Just <laughs> an out of 10 rating. <laughs> 
Julian makes me amazing coffee most days, yes. Um, <laughs> out of 10, 11, 12, yeah? Nailed it. Fantastic, thanks. Can I preach down here? Is that all right? Yeah, that'll be great. Um, fantastic. It's such a joy to be back at Life Changes. Um, and uh, I gather there's been many changes uh, since I was here last. Um, many good changes from what I hear. Um, and so really it's a great joy just to be here. I'm really trusting God to do some amazing things uh, tonight. And I hope you've come expecting for God to meet with us in an incredible way. It sounds like you guys are, are coming um, at this level of camps and meetings with God, so this is going to be an easy night. I'm not going to need to perform too much, and uh, we're going to encounter God, right? Yeah. I'm glad one of you agree. Um, <clears throat> I tell you what, God has just been doing some incredible things. Katya and I have just about had the most exciting time over the last uh, six months We've just had so much fun, not only together, but on mission together. And I've uh, seen God do some phenomenal things in the nations um, where we've been preaching. Um, just seeing God break out in some incredible ways. I, we were just uh, in um, a vineyard church in Northern Ireland just recently and uh, brought a prophetic word about God breaking out in acceleration with new salvation. In the last six weeks, they've seen over 300 people saved in Northern Ireland. Okay, I'm going to pretend like you got very happy at that. Because that's, that's, like, that's like revival stuff. We'll be heading back there uh, next month to do some stuff with them and uh, really expecting an incredible increase of the move of God. Uh, just being in Dubai again in November, um, I, I'm <coughs> just tempted to see if I should share this. Are you, guys, are you guys okay with just crossing the kind of weird line for about 10 minutes? Can we do that? Um, and I'm aware there might be some people here who are not Christian. I'm aware there might be some people here who are visiting, and you might be thinking, who is this cape-colored oak um, with a funny half-baked English accent? Um, <clears throat> I just want to just quickly touch on one thing, and I just as a testimony of what God's been doing. About um, five or six months ago, God woke me up out of a dream, and in the dream I had an encounter with an angelic being and this angel was called Swift, and God spoke to me about a holy acceleration that's coming to the church, where things are going to happen quite fast and in an accelerated way, and there's going to be a resource that's going to come, and God is going to move swiftly in terms of outbreaks of His Spirit. And, uh, and it was a very clear moment, and on numbers of occasions in meetings, this angel has appeared. Um, there have been some occasions where others have seen it, um, and God has been moving in some dramatic ways. The supernatural world is a real world. Um, there are real demons and real angels. Good news is that there are more angels than there are demons. And so we can expect more angelic visitations than demonic visitations. Good. And so it's been really exciting because where we've been in the last six months, just literally even talking about what God did in those few moments, there's been outbreaks of incredible healing and outbreaks of salvation. We were in Dubai in November to share the story. And again, since November, a church in Dubai uh, called Gatekeepers has seen an increase of members by the tune of 200 people in just a few months. <coughs> As God's broken out with signs, wonders, and miracles in their local church. 
And uh, it just seems like God is eager to meet with his people. And very often people say to me, oh, I wish I was alive in the days of people like Smith Wigglesworth and Catherine Coleman. Well, I don't because we're seeing a whole lot more. Um, miracles are easy nowadays. And in a moment, we're going to see some healings and miracles. God's doing them. We were just in Clarence. We did a school of the supernatural in Clarence. We had um, about 80 students gather in this little tiny Clarence in the heart of South Africa. And what we did was in the afternoon, we went out and did some just mercy ministry, blessed people, prayed for people, um, and just kind of you know, touched the, the hearts of the community. And then in the evening, we had open meetings, in a big tent, I got my Pentecostal on. It was incredible. I, I, all I needed was a white suit and a hanky and a good piano player in the background. And uh, we saw over 200 reported healings in five days. And I'll tell you something in a moment. But what was so exciting is we saw, I think, just over 130 responses to the gospel in five days. <clears throat> My friend Gareth, who leads the church, has got his work cut out. He's had a hundred new people come in into home groups themselves as they followed up on these guys. We are living in some exciting days. And in those meetings, we saw, I think it was four blind eyes open. We saw three, three, was it three? Two, sorry. I mean, I'm evangelistic. Two blind eyes open. And we saw a number of guest ears. I think, how many? Five guest ears open. We saw a number of uh, creative miracles. One was quite remarkable in that a lady had had her kneecap removed uh, due to some injury, and God replaced it with a brand new one. That is a cool party trick right there, right? One of the most exciting things is in that meeting, we saw which doctor responds to the gospel to, and uh, she's been followed up. We saw um, one woman, this is a really cool one, she came into the meeting, she had uh, broken her leg in several places and had a metal pin uh, down it and was in incredible pain, came in with crutches. She left jumping up and down on that leg, able to bend it, and left her crutches there. She walked out completely healed. Um, it was just incredible. And story after story of people responding to how God is breaking in with healing. And the great thing was it wasn't dependent upon me or a special ministry anointing. It was guys who come from all over South Africa and come from the UK who'd never ever done miracles before getting out and doing the stuff. Because God is eager to release his kingdom in the earth today. Amen. And you know, God is looking for a people who would host his presence. I often say that God is shifting us from a visitation mentality to a habitation mentality. For too long, we've lived in a place of expecting God to break out and kind of bless our mess, and then he can go so we can carry on with the stuff we're used to. I'll move on quickly. The point is, God wants to move in. He wants to be the guest of honor, and he wants to make his space in your house. And, uh, you know, I love the picture, um, and I'll just, um, this is not in my notes, but I'll, I'll get there eventually. Um, I love the picture of the difference between Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dwellings, the Feast of 
of moving in. In the feast of Pentecost, you remember the Jewish people had to obey three feasts where they had to go to the temple in order to obey those feasts. The first one was Passover, which we're going to celebrate next week. We celebrate the fulfillment of Passover when Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, spilt his blood for us so that um, in everything we now get to walk in freedom from sin. The, the curse of sin is broken once and for all, and because of that truth, death passes over us. That should make you happy. Really, really happy. Right? And then, of course, so they had to go to the temple to celebrate that. They had to take the sacrifice. And we know that Jesus Christ is not only our great high priest, but he's also our great sacrifice in the book of Hebrews. And he pays the price ultimately for us. Not only that, 40 days later, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost is a great time to celebrate the giving of the Spirit because 40 days after Moses did Passover, he received the law on Mount Sinai. And I'm so glad that the law can no longer control us or have a hold over us because God has given us the person of the Holy Spirit. That we now no longer live under law, but we live in relationship with a person. A very real person called the Holy Spirit. He's not the butler of heaven. He is God himself. Wonderful. And not only that, the Pentecost represented the season of ingathering. It was the time that you took 10% of your first fruits symbolizing the harvest, and you brought it to the temple. And not only that, it was a, it was a time of, uh, uh, in, of a picture of the down payment, a deposit of what is to come. So that 10% was the down payment. Sounds a little bit like Ephesians, the Holy Spirit, the down payment of our inheritance, right? And so that's the picture of Pentecost. But Jesus, in John chapter 7, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit in the context of Passover or Pentecost, he refers to the Holy Spirit in the context of tabernacles. He says in John chapter 7 and verse 37, On the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood out and he cried out in a loud voice, saying, Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink, for out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And the feast of tabernacles represented something great. It represented literally the harvest. It represented that this was harvest time. It wasn't just the 10% guaranteeing the harvest. It was the fact that we've now entered into harvest. And I want to suggest to you that you have entered into harvest time. That, that we're in a season where the harvest is ripe. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, in our local church, we've seen well over 600 people healed on the streets of Bedford. We've seen literally hundreds of people get saved. The growth in our church has dramatically increased through not transfer growth, but salvation growth. We're living in days where God wants to birth the buildings of churches and fill them with harvesters. And it represents the harvest, but not only that, it represented the Holy Spirit and the river of God in Ezekiel chapter 47 that flowed from the temple, from the throne, over the stairs, out of the temple, into the nation. Do you remember Ezekiel chapter 47? How deep do you want to go? Do you want to go ankle deep or waist deep? Or do you want to get in real deep where you can't control anything? <clears throat> and Jesus would have said this, let anyone who thirsty come to me and drink at the moment that the priest would have taken some water and poured it out upon the steps of the temple. And what Jesus in effect was saying Ladies and gentlemen, this temple that you see here in Israel 
is going to be broken down. Nothing's going to be left of it because I am the new living temple. And when you come to me, you get to drink from a river that's effervescent, that keeps on flowing and keeps on going, and nothing is going to stop it. Down this river banks, there are trees with healing for the nations. Come to me and drink. And, you know, the verse says, come to me and drink, and out of your belly will flow, out of your innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. And you'd be thinking, oh, it must mean then, uh, in my understanding, in my estimation, I would have thought Jesus would say, come and drink and you'll be satisfied. But what he says is, no, rivers are going to flow from your innermost being. And in fact, what he's saying, he says, not only am I the new living temple, but when you drink from me, you become the new living temple. And wherever you go, you become a walking outpouring of the river of God. I'm just going to say that to some people over here quickly, because that was a really good point. You are the walking outpouring that the world needs. You're it. God's got no second plan. You're it. Thank you, Nevin. Say, you're it. You're the walking outpouring that the world needs. That's not in my notes for tonight. But I want to encourage you. We're living days now where it's not just going to be God visiting us, but God is going to be perpetually dwelling within us by His Spirit so the river flows from us so wherever we go, our expectation is the supernatural outbreak of His kingdom. Why else would you want to be alive? Church is boring without the Holy Spirit. I'm going to move on quickly. Turn in your Bibles, please. To 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Somebody right now, you are getting healed of a, a, a neck condition in the left side of your body. You're somewhere over here. You're a gentleman. You've had a neck condition that's caused incredible pain. If you begin to move your neck right now, you'll begin to see that the pain is lifting off. And you'll see that God's beginning to bring healing. Can I just quickly say something? A word of knowledge is a declaration of what God has already done in the heavens. And when it comes out, you have an opportunity to either agree with that or to ignore it. (laughs) All right? So how's that? that, You've got the next problem. How's that feeling now? Gone? How long have you had that for? How long have you had that for? Completely gone? Yay, God. Yay, God. There's a, there's a lady in this section over here. God did something to do with your leg. I think it's your, maybe your right leg, um, the lower part of your right leg. If you begin to move, you'll begin to find the pain is going. Uh, there's a lady in the first half. Is it you? Just uh, move it. Just tell us what's happening. The pain is gone. What was wrong? And there's no more pain. How long have, that, have you had that pain for? Five hours and there's no pain now? Come on. Yay, God. Good. We're going to do some more healing a little bit later. I'm going to teach you how to pray for the sick. Ticker in chapter 3 and verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once has 
what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remained unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Okay, that sucked. You need to be like the Scots, right? William Wallace, when he shouts freedom, it comes right from the inside. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Freedom! Guys are almost there. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are living in a day of God visiting and moving in and tabernacling with his people. Everything is going to change because when his presence comes, everything changes. Our agenda takes second place. His agenda takes first. And you know, God is so kind. He's such a gentleman that he won't ever override your agenda. <laughs> You'll simply wait till you surrender to him. He's very kind that way. And we are living in a day where I believe God is wanting to um, take his church back from managers and and people who simply think that we can put whatever we want to put around the, the move of God, scaffolding around what God wants to do. And God is saying, I want my church back because I'm wanting to visit with her. I'm wanting to woo her. I'm wanting her to come back to first love. I'm wanting her to be so in love with me that kingdom life becomes the priority. Amen? And I love the book of Corinthians because... Uh, both 1 and 2 Corinthians are filled with normal people who do extraordinary things for God. This church is a church that has seen the power of God at work. This church is a church that has seen the glory of God at work. They are people of the Spirit. This is a community of the Spirit. And in between all of that, there's a whole lot of chamorts and a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of rubbish. But still, Paul writes and he commends this church for their passion. He commends his church for their desire for the presence of God. And Paul comes to this particular juncture in his apostolic letter, and I believe he's trying to unpack, but particularly in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, what an apostolic community looks like, what it feels like. An apostolic community is always a community of the Spirit. I want to suggest to you, we are living in a day where there's a big um, uh, discussion around missional churches and apostolic churches. And when we talk missional, what we're talking about is a passionate desire to see the lost saved. Who wants that? I want that. I want to see many people saved. I made it my practice to tell people about Jesus. I want them to come into the kingdom. And so we want a community that's not inward focused, but outward focused, who reaches the lost. Amen? But the difference between a missional community and an apostolic community is the person of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the apostolic mandate was to make sure that those who came into the kingdom encountered the Holy Spirit. And so we see Philip go down to Samaria, does amazing signs and wonders, many get saved. The Bible says great joy came to that city. 
And what happens afterwards? The apostles have got to get down there in order to release the Spirit upon them. And wherever you see apostolic ministry, particularly in the book of Acts, you'll see the coming of the Spirit. And we don't just want missional churches that see people get saved. No, no, we want apostolic churches that get caught up in a missional expression, empowered by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after. And Paul's writing to the church saying, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he uses an Old Testament example to contrast for us what it means to live in freedom. And the person he chooses is Moses. Now, how many of you know Moses is an amazing guy? The Bible says that God spoke to him face to face and withheld no secret from him. I'm up for that. That was under the Old Covenant. I want some of that in the New Covenant. Amen? And it's an incredible picture because Moses has this incredible encounter with God. How many of you remember in Exodus when he sees the glory of God? I mean, how awesome must that have been? I love Moses' style. He's like, God, if I find favor in your eyes, show me your glory so I can have more favor. You know, it's nothing wrong to ask God for favor because your papa is so good, he wants to bless you embarrassingly. In fact, he gives you permission to over-exaggerate his goodness. In Ephesians, it says, whatever you ask, think, or imagine, you will give exceedingly abundantly above that. You see, if you can imagine it, you can have it. Some of you are like, oh, that's too good. That sounds like a little bit of over-realized eschatology. That just simply means I want as much of heaven as I can get right now. I'm guilty. Besides, until I see what Jesus saw, it's not an over-realized eschatology. You see, friends, God wants to bless you. And Moses is in this context. Now, he's in the presence of God, right? There are lightnings, thunderings, a black cloud on this hill. It is so awesome that the people of Israel are afraid to go up and they say, Moses, you go up for us. Isn't it incredible how very often people want to live spirituality through someone else's experience? No, no, you go get the stuff for us and we'll, we'll try and live by that. And Moses goes up into the mountain and he has this incredible encounter with God and the Bible says that God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes him by. And do you know what Moses sees? He sees the back of God and the back of God is so amazing that he gets a revelation of his goodness. God is so phenomenal that he passes by Moses and just in the passing by, the number one thing Moses gets is a revelation of how good he is, not how angry he is. Not how grumpy he is. Not how fed up he is with you. No, no, he gets a revelation of the gooey, yummy goodness of heaven. Because he's that good. And Moses has his encounter, his face is shiny, comes down. The problem is, though, that the revelation Moses received in the context of glory came with the law. It came with rules and regulations and internal scaffolding that had to be built around that encounter. And when that happens, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that glory becomes a fading glory. 
Now, I'm aware that numbers of you have come off an encounter with God from many different camps and many different experiences of spirituality. You come in and you feel like we've had a great weekend, we've had a great week. God's been with us. And I find that most Christians, once they've had an encounter with God, they immediately try and find some scaffolding of the law to put around that encounter in order to maintain that encounter. And so we're going to wake up extra early this week to pray and fast and break bread just so we don't lose the goosebumps that we got while the air conditioning was too cold in the meeting. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we're going to work really hard at being very good this week. In fact, I'm sure Mark would like this, we're going to double tithe on Sunday just so that we keep the encounters of God. And I find Christian life looks a little bit like this. Yay, God, yay, God, oh, no, God, oh, no, God. Yay, God, yay, God. Do you know what I'm saying? When actually the Bible seems to indicate that our life should be an ever-increasing expression of glory. That it should be going up and up and up and up and up should we begin to look more and more like him, not like an emotional wreck that goes up and down all the time. And many churches encounter the move of God Every revival that has happened has ended because someone tried to put some scaffolding, some legalism, some rules, some regulations that they thought would be good in order to try and manage something that God was doing. And the result is a fading glory. If you could be a people of the Spirit, if you could be a community of the Spirit that hosts the presence of God, You cannot put your rules, regulations, or ideologies around it. You have to to look for what God is doing and find a way to build around that and see it increase. Galatians is a profound book. And I love what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 3. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Haven't begun in the spirit, are you now trying to achieve your goal through the flesh? And he says, our attempt at trying to maintain a move of God, our attempt at trying to maintain God's presence, our attempt at trying to contain his spirit by putting all these rules and regulations around that, he calls that witchcraft. And every revival that happened has ended because some person, some organization tried to formalize and put some kind of a structure around what God was doing. And when you bring law into the work of the Spirit, the glory always fades. You see, you're coming to Jesus. You're being a Christian. And if you're not a Christian yet again, you're responding to him. It's all because he's kind and good. It's all because of his graciousness. It's not because of your hard work. It's not because you could ever earn anything. It's because of Jesus' faithfulness to hang on a cross and die for your sin that you now get to come in. And it's that very faithfulness that sustains your relationship with him. You see, for many of us as Christians, we build our relationship with him around our performance and around our rules and around our regulations. And the problem with that is we can never attain to our own rules, let alone his demands for righteousness. Jesus attained to every single demand of righteousness. 
And the Bible says an incredible thing. The Bible says, in, you put it another way, Paul put it another way in Romans, he says that you were once married to this thing called the law. Rules and regulations that were 100% right. Imagine being married to Mr. Perfect. He's right all the time. He's never wrong about anything. He's always right about your wrongness. But he does nothing to help lift, uh, lift you out of your wrongness. Some of you wives are like, mm-hmm. I know about Mr. Perfect. Imagine being married to someone like that. Who keeps pointing your finger and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And they write about your wrongness. It would be horrible. And Paul says the only way that you can get away from that is either to divorce or to die. And of course, divorce is wrong, so someone's going to die. Problem is, Mr. Perfect is so right, he's going to live forever. So who has to die? You do. And I've got good news for you because the Bible says that you were in Christ in a mystical and a mysterious way when he was on that cross. And so Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And at that cross, I died to the law, and I was joined to Jesus. I'm not married to him. <laughs> I, I, I'm in fact, we're like Siamese twins, and we share the same heart. There's no way I can be separated. I'm in him forever. The problem is that most Christians get saved enough to enjoy grace for salvation, and they go, yay, God, I'm saved. I'm so glad you saved me. I'm such a horrible sinner. And then we go back to Mr. Law, and we go, beat me again so I can try and be more holy. Beat me again so I can get a greater experience of glory. I know I'm so horrible. And we approach Jesus and the finished work of salvation from the wrong side. We approach the cross from the perspective of a sinner when actually we're a saint because the Bible says my old nature is dead and buried. To go up and dig that thing up and talk to it is necromancy and that's forbidden in the Bible. And what happens is I'm joined to Christ. I've got an experience of salvation. Now let me just work a little bit harder. And the problem is when you do that, you commit spiritual adultery. You don't go messing with someone else when you're married to Christ. And Christians have missed the point that not only is your salvation by grace, but your whole life is sustained by grace. Because grace is the key to glory. Now, if you want to experience His goodness, it's not going to be based on your effort. It's going to be based on the fact that Jesus paid it all. Listen, the Bible says in Hebrews that God, when He makes a promise, He makes a promise in such a way that He cannot lie because He is God. And so when He looks for someone across the human race, He can't find anyone who can make a promise to Him and who He can make a promise to because He knows the human race is flawed. And so God in His great wisdom comes to earth as a man called Jesus. Fully God and fully man. And on the cross, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And on that cross, God the Father touched covenant with God the Son of Man. And for the first time, there's a perfect person who can make a perfect promise 
and a perfect covenant, sure. And so God cut covenant. There has to be the shedding of blood with Jesus. So that now once and for all, because of the faithfulness of Jesus to the covenant he makes with his Father, we now get to be the recipients of the rewards of that covenant. And it's not based (laughs) on our ability to stay faithful. It's based on the fact that he is always faithful in spite of our faithlessness. Brothers and sisters, you want some glory? It's not going to be because you fast and pray. That might be a good way to get there. But it's not because of your work. It's because he has made a promise that his image will be demonstrated in you and through you and when you behold him. The thing you behold, you become like. You see, God's so kind. And on the cross, Jesus, being fully man, makes the perfect decisions for us. So we now are grafted in him. So listen to this. We now occupy the same position that Jesus does in Trinitarian intimacy. Did you get that? Jesus is chilling at the right hand of the Father. You know where you are sitting right now? You're in Christ. You're in Christ, the same Trinitarian intimacy, the same way that he grafted in perfectly. That's why Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, Lord, let them be one as we are one. In fact, in one point he says, God, the glory that you gave me before I even came to the earth, give it to them. We get to be recipients of ever-increasing glory. And it's not going to be dependent on our good keeping, law keeping. It's not going to be dependent on how we try. It's all going to be dependent on how we contemplate. Most people struggle with sin because that's what they focus on. Why go dig up an old dead corpse and look at it and go, what a sinner you used to be. I refuse to sing songs that reduce my salvation to a worm on the ground, uh, to some flippant, ridiculous sinner. No, 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 I am a saint. And so are you. I'm God's favorite. As loved as Jesus is, is as loved as I am. The only difference between me and Jesus is he's begotten of the Father and I'm adopted of the Father. You see, your spiritual position and encountering of glory will never need to be dependent on your circumstances or your emotional disposition. It's always dependent on the finished work of the cross. And it's why he had to be resurrected. Our hope is not in the fact that Jesus died on the cross simply. Our hope is in the fact that not only was he resurrected, but he's ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, and glorified as the prototype, the first example of what we will all be like. Christ, the man, is now fully human because God and him have been mixed together as it were. They always were. He's that's an example, fully God, fully man, and now he's been glorified, so that he's the example of one day what it will be like. Until then, we become partakers of his divine nature, the Bible says. But there's a day where our bodies are going to be glorified, and we'll be fully human. Heaven and earth will be in one place at the same time. And the reason why he had to be glorified 
was that he could pour out the Spirit. Because John chapter 7 says, when he was talking about the river that's supposed to flow from you, he was speaking of the Spirit whom his disciples had not received yet because he had not yet been glorified. You see, the example of our Christ-likeness, the example of how we're to live, is not simply how Jesus lived on planet Earth for 33 years. It's his glorified position right now. We live from heaven to earth. Can we become partakers of the glory that's on our older brother? Because we can't help getting some of the overspill because we're in him. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, the Holy Spirit is transforming us to the very image of glory that is seated at the right hand of the Father. I don't know about you, but I want to live in that example. I want to live in the place of walking as a foretaste of heaven on earth. We're a people of the future. We're a people of what's to come. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the age to come. The Holy Spirit is the only true new age spirit. (laughs) Because he's bringing the age, the new age of the kingdom onto this earth and everything's going to be changed. I wish I had time to talk about how you're called to govern on this earth. To be an ecclesia, to be the church, doesn't mean you're called out from something. It means you're called out to something. Brothers and sisters, your encountering of him is not dependent on your law keeping. Your encountering of him is dependent on the fact that there's blood spilt on the floor courts of heaven and on the mercy seat, so that there is now no longer any barrier between you and the Father because you live in a perpetual open heaven because you're in Christ. And not only that, when you behold his glory, I love this picture, it says here, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. The, 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 the sense that this is actually carrying here is about looking into a mirror. As you look into a mirror, you have been changed. And I remember thinking, but if I'm looking into a mirror, the picture that I'm going to see is my face. I don't want to be changed into me. Until I, got the, until I got the clue, Christ in me, the hope of glory, my identity is so irrevocably changed that when the Father sees me, He sees the Son. And when I look at myself, I have to look at myself through the lens of the Son So that as I begin to perceive who I really am in Him, I get changed from one degree of glory to another. Because repentance is not feeling sorry for your sin. Repentance is changing the way you think about who you now are and whose you now are. You see, glory is for everyone. And His goodness It's on display for everyone to have. And many of you just encountered God. You've had some incredible breakthroughs. And the temptation is to go home and to work out a plan of when you're going to wake up to have your quiet time, 
when you're going to do your fast, when you're going to do your double tithe, and put in loads of regulations and rules. And yes, the glory will hang around for a little bit, but it will fade. But when you live in the place of beholding, you'll become. When you live in the place of being a laid-down lover, worshipping Him, you'll become like Him. When you waste time on Him, you become like Him. I once heard a very well-meaning pastor say, you know, the church does need Martha's too. No, 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 no. Jesus said the better part is Mary. And that will not be taken from her. Friends, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to an ever-increasing experience of glory. And I know some of you are sitting on the edge of your chair saying, now give me the three points to make that happen. I can't. But here's what I can tell you. That to the degree that you would be open to surrender yourself to his goodness and his kindness and his love towards you is to the degree that you'll be changed by what you see in him. See, it's all about loving him. God's design for you was never to work for him. I'm so glad I don't work for God. I never ever will work for God. I work with him. Because we're in relationship. I'm so glad I don't have to wait for a command from an all-sovereign being about what I need to do. No, no, he's inviting me to partner and dream with him. He's so kind. He's so kind that way. See, for many of us, we think that glory is a moment that comes because of the sovereignty of God. And in Reformed theology, we've so emphasized the sovereignty of God that we've removed the place of our perceiving of Him. You see, sovereignty of God is an invitation for me to enjoy all that He is. Not a passivity to wait for Him to do something. It's an extension of faith because I know He's so good. What are you beholding today? What if we just have the worship team just come up very quickly? I want to sing a very old song because I told you I'm a bit crazy Pentecostal. Psalm used to sing as a um, young kid, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice, I don't know if you know that, this old hymn. Um, and I want us just to behold him for a moment. Because you see, he's going to break out in great power tonight. There's going to be some healing that's going to happen. Some of you are going to encounter joy again. Some of you need some joy. God bless you. Some of you have been sucking on lemon juice for too long. You know, joy is very important in the kingdom. Jesus wouldn't have died unless it was for joy. The Bible says he endured the cross. Notice, he didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And some of you need to realize that the suffering that you're going through is not God's doing. God doesn't make anyone sick. It's one of the Worst heresies that come up that God makes you sick. He doesn't make you sick. He's a good God. He's a good Father. But I tell you what, in the midst of suffering, the end result is going to be joy because he can win with a pair of twos in his hands. 
Like, no matter what hand he gets, he wins at the end. And some of you facing some real things, and you're saying, I need some sustaining glory. Well, it's not to run from the goodness of God, it's to embrace the goodness of God. But to unlock some joy for some We might prophesy over some people. I kind of feel like I was just here last year, so lots of the people I know prophesy some of the same stuff. Most often it takes a year to work out a prophecy, doesn't it? Um, we might prophesy over some people, but right now I want us to love him and behold on him. Can we do that? So why not you stand and let's just sing a song. And come on, you can lift up your voice. I know we've gone a little bit over time at Top Box 7, but hey, the world's only getting ready to party now. So let's just love on him very quickly. Come on, let's lift him up.